0: So I've had the privilege in my life uh, to introduce the uh, father of the internet, Vince Cerf. Uh, the father of the cell phone, Marty Cooper, whose wife, by the way, designed the jitterbug phone. Um, and now I have the honor to introduce one of the foremost scientists of the 20th and 21st centuries who was one of the first to map
1: the, the genome. And with that, I'd like to introduce... Dr. Craig Venter. Well, he didn't introduce me, but I'm David Kirkpatrick here to inter- <laughs> from Techonomy, here to interview Craig Venter. And it's an honor, and in case you weren't aware of this, you're not going to be able to rush the stage because they did not take down the Secret Service barrier. Um, but uh, it is true that it's, this guy is an amazing guy. I actually had on my phone, if I could get it back up, his extraordinary uh, resume he was a medic in Vietnam, went into academia after that, uh, then went to work at the NIH, started doing rapid gene discovery techniques, and then in 1998 he founded Solera Genomics uh, in order to sequence the human genome uh, and was really one of the first, or the, do you say you're the first or one of the first? I know this is a C- controversial topic. Clearly type. the first. Better than the first, yeah. <laughs> that we, he certainly was one of the key pioneers in in sequencing the human genome the first time. and Then in 2005, he co-founded Synthetic Genomics Inc. Um, and then he, in 2006, launched the J. Craig Venter Institute, which is a nonprofit research institute for genomics. And in uh, the last several years, he co-founded Human Longevity Inc., which is a big part of what we're going to be discussing. And, and I, I, in talking to him to prep for this, I was really struck with the sort of I think kind of genius of Human Longevity, Inc., which I'm going to ask him to describe in a minute, but it's, as you'll, as you'll hear, you know, we've, we've started, in large part due to his work, to have this extraordinary resource of human genetic data. Uh, but we really don't know what it means. And if you listen to what he's going to describe about what he's doing now, he's continuing his work in genomics, but he's really trying to interpret genomics in a fundamentally new way. So maybe with that, I can ask you to tell us a little bit about what Human Longevity Institute is doing.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for the kind introduction. And it it goes back to uh, when we first sequenced the first human genome, it cost a hundred million dollars to do that it took nine months uh... took a fifty million dollar computer for one and a half teraflops and it wasn't a replicable event the government spent about three billion dollars doing a shabbier version and it was not replicable either So, not much has happened in the last fifteen years except incredible technology changes and i was basically waiting until the computer technology and the sequencing technology got to a critical point, And that's when we started Human Longevity. It was below $2,000 to sequence a human genome. And with cloud and distributed computing, uh, it totally changes what's possible. The, our $50 million computer today, you can get a card for your PC for $100. So that the time was right, and the key issue was My genome has been on the internet for over 15 years. There's not much that's understood about it or anybody else's because we need really large numbers of genomes coupled with clinical and phenotype data to understand it. So that's what we set out to do is a goal of over a million genomes as soon as possible. Uh, But in every case, we collect phenotype and clinical data. Uh, And we have several sources of this, but I think the the main part is we set up our own phenotyping clinic called the Health Nucleus. And it started somewhat naively that we just wanted to measure everything we could on people. But it's turned into such a radical change in what happens in medical discovery uh, that its uh, shift is totally focused. And I can give you some examples, but it's...
1: uh, It's kind of the most thorough medical examination that anybody's ever done for people, sort of preventatively, right?
0: That's correct, it's the whole genome, it's the microbiome, it's 2000 chemicals, uh, complex MRI imaging of your brain, uh, whole body measuring metabolites as well as cancer. Uh, We do CT scans of the heart, uh, CT of the intestine and lungs, this uh, is we, all
1: in one day. Of all one, in
0: an eight-hour day. So it
1: costs $25,000.
0: There's a $12,000 version that we only do half of you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how useful that would be. Uh, but uh, So we do have a, a, a cut-down version for $12,500. But uh, the data is really comprehensive. And the thing that surprised us, in, in retrospect, it shouldn't have, about 40% of the healthy people that come in we find out they're not healthy. They have cancer. They have major heart disease. They have uh, brain aneurysms. That they, they didn't know about, you're that saying? That they did not know about. And uh, so I look at the definition of, you know, everybody here probably feels healthy and thinks they're healthy. Uh, that's something out of the Middle Ages. But it it's pervasive in the medical profession as well because if you look okay and feel okay, you're deemed to be healthy. And you know, we get about 1.4 million new cases of cancer a year. Those people didn't just get the cancer the day before. Some have had it for years, uh, some months.
1: Okay, so you're basically doing the most thorough medical exam that people could possibly have done and using it to correlate that with the genetic data you also examine from them in order to, to, to in large part, better understand what the genetic data means. Is that a fair appraisal?
0: That's a great assessment. We're, We're trying to interpret the genome so we don't have to do all these expensive tests on everybody in the future. Uh, but we know less than 1% of the human genome right now. So we have to have new data to get better interpretation. But along the way, we're discovering a massive uh, amount of disease. But the good news about it, so we have a comprehensive cancer program that we can talk about uh, where people, when once they have cancer, we uh, sequence their tumors, we sequence their genomes, we sequence RNA, we develop... Uh, Even cancer vaccines specific for their tumors, but we have three women in the 30s that have stage four colon cancer. You know, that's uh, 20 years before you're supposed to have a colonoscopy. You've just you've
1: discovered through giving them the project. Well, no, they
0: they were diagnosed by getting sick and the they were diagnosed more conventionally. Okay, at the Health Nucleus, we've been discovering stage zero, stage one, and some stage two cancer that has all been 100% treatable, because we're discovering it at a stage where it hasn't metastasized yet. And it's such a contrast in the same organization of we discover cancer, uh, individuals know they have cancer for about a week, uh, they have surgery if that's the treatment, and a week later they're cancer free, versus you discover cancer because it got big, it causes you pain, you go to see somebody. So, Early screening is its absolutely wonderful, and I'm a testament to it myself.
1: Well, I want to get to that in a minute. Um, but what strikes me, among other things, and I think it's a fantastic and, and fascinating effort, but it must take a somewhat brave person to subject themselves to what you're doing if 40% of them turn out to have a major medical condition they didn't know about.
0: Well, knowledge is power. Uh, But it's interesting. Uh, Men come in uh, two to one over women. And I actually thought it would be the opposite, that more women would know if they found something early to do something about it that they would. But I can tell you being on both sides of it, it is scary. So uh, my own clinic with a new MRI technique we have diagnosed that I have late stage uh, prostate cancer. Uh, But it hadn't metastasized yet. Uh, I had surgery, had it removed, uh, and now two months later, I'm cancer-free.
1: But... So it was a very rapid process of diagnosis and treatment yeah. in that
0: sense. But, but it is disturbing when you, you, you learn from your clinic that you have something pretty substantial wrong with you. So I understand that part of the fear. The counterpart of the fear is I'm now cancer-free. Everybody else we've discovered cancer is now cancer-free because we found it early enough not because it caused symptoms. So it's an exciting endeavor, but sure, if if you don't go to a clinic, you never go to the doctor, y- you won't find out you're ill until it's at a late stage and you're definitely ill.
1: So in a way, in in addition to trying to create this revolutionary new correlation between genetic data and phenotype data, you're also really trying to change the attitude of medicine towards prevention and really go radically early into the prevention business, in effect.
0: Exactly. And We have several physicians that have been angry about the fact that we're screening healthy people. And I said, well, how in the hell do you know they're healthy? Uh, in fact, we found out 40% of them are not so healthy. Uh, but because we have this primitive view of what the definition of health is, until you show up in the hospital with symptoms, you're healthy. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of these physicians get visibly upset over this because it really turns their entire profession upside down. And the fact that you can find it early, diagnose it and do something about it, and not just with cancer. We found several brain aneurysms. Usually people find out about a brain aneurysm uh, when a friend dies suddenly from the aneurysm popping. It's now an outpatient procedure to put a coil in and treat a brain aneurysm. But if you don't know about it, you can't do anything about it. So
1: you can identify the prospective aneurysm well before it actually generates the crisis? They show up bright and
0: clear on our MRI images.
1: Now, has that historically been possible much of any other way?
0: Well, if you get dye injections, they do show up. The new
1: MRI if technique. If you were worried you were going to have it, so yeah. you'd have a cause to do it. Or that.
0: if you were getting a brain scan for some other reason.
1: By coincidence.
0: The yeah. new MRI technique measures the water molecule differences in tissues. Hmm. So we get these beautiful pictures of your entire brain vasculature without any contrast media. So we didn't want to use contrast because about 5% of people get an allergic reaction to it. So this new technique can diagnose cancer by measuring water molecule differences, can measure the blood vessels very clearly. And if you got a little bleb off it, that's an aneurysm, it shows
1: up very clearly. You could call it the, you know, genetic expression institute or something. Why longevity? So longevity is kind of a catch-all
0: because we're looking at all diseases across the entire genome and they're actually integrated. And our goal is not just to make people live longer but to have a healthy lifespan. So, a statistic that I'm sure all of you are literally dying to know, is uh, uh, about 35% of males will never reach the age of 75 in the US, and about 20% of females, you will not reach the age of 75. Two thirds of the reason for that is a combination of cancer and heart disease. Both are detectable early, Both are predictable from the genome, both are treatable early, and those are preventable deaths. That's a matter of getting the test done and having that be a priority. So, uh, that alone will change people's longevity uh, by treating just two-thirds of the reasons people die. And if you think those are odd statistics, just start looking at your high school classes or look at the recent actors that have died in this last year. Uh, All the ones that died, other than drug overdoses, were things that would have been readily diagnosed in the health nucleus and they wouldn't have died from them. One was uh, an exploding aorta. We we see distended aortas all the time. They're surgically treated right away. Uh, So... It's a matter of looking early. Nobody looked early before, because you had to use radiation or some other invasive technique. Now this is completely non-invasive, no radiation, and and some of the things are really quite interesting. How how many of you have measured uh, your liver fat?
1: In this crowd, at least a couple. Okay,
0: uh, but some many. of you we've measured it for you, so it's. Uh, So normal liver fat is about 4% or less. It's very dynamic and organ fat is one of the key things to knowing whether you're gonna live very long. Some of the individuals we have, uh, they have fat levels in the high 30%. The highest one is 38%. He's probably gonna need a liver transplant in the near future, completely unaware that they had any disease whatsoever. So uh, we do remote sensing. We give people a little patch they wear for two weeks. It records your EKG for two weeks. Several people have episodic AFib for up to eight hours a day. It's the number one cause of stroke. Uh, Simply preventable by putting them on anticoagulants now. Two of them had episodic heart block, where they're basically at risk of sudden death uh, at any moment, Their heart rate would go down to less than twenty beats a minute, and somehow they were unaware of it. I guess they just felt calm or something. so they now have pacemakers so we're seeing things across the spectrum, but metabolic disease is one of the biggest things affecting all of us for the future.
1: How many people have gone through this uh, this examination thus far?
0: So we started last January we're out to well over four hundred now
1: okay and now. Just on, while we're on the longevity point, um, you and Startup Health have a longevity moonshot. And is it basically as you just described to try to identify particularly heart and cancer a, a illness in advance? Or what is that lo- moonshot? Explain that.
0: So we're looking at, as I said, all diseases. The big ones, though, are cancer and heart disease. Uh, but if we measure it, you know, we report it. We're trying to measure every type of disease there is. Between the MRI imaging and the genome, we can tell you whether you're going to get Alzheimer's symptoms 20 years in the future. So wow. we can predict futures with a combination of genomes and these clinical tools. The nice thing is the genome gives you probability statistics. The health nucleus gives you yes-no data. You either have it or you don't. And that's helping us get better, more accurate interpretation of the genome. Right. So every day, our interpretation gets more accurate, and we're able to give people better and more constantly uh, improved information.
1: Then you're also getting phenotype data from outside sources as well as genetic data outside. Yeah, so for so you're example, you're adding to
0: the database that way too. Yeah, we're uh, with AstraZeneca and Genentech. We're sequencing their clinical trials. We get phenotype data from that as well as a unique data sets. So. We're trying to do to as many different populations as we can.
1: I have, a, I have a curious question. OK, this is a very medically savvy crowd. Leaving aside the cost of $25,000, which is clearly a factor, how many people in this room would embrace the opportunity to get one of these examinations? How many people find it a disturbing, scary thing they would definitely not want to do? Not, only one brave person raised their hand. OK. okay. Interesting. Um,
0: Will all of you email me, and we'll or get back to you and me. schedule something for you. So,
1: but the, no, What about the price? I mean, I, on the phone, I said it was expensive, and you said it didn't seem expensive to you. But it is a lot of money—twenty-five thousand bucks, right? Well, w-
0: when you think about, uh, we have two MRI machines, CT scanners, DEXA scanners. You have to have technical people that really know what they're doing. The interpretation of this data is really complex. Uh, We're doing it uh, at a very thin margin, if any, at all. So it can come down in the future. And that's once we get better interpreting the genome, we can just sequence your genome and say, look, you have these serious cardiac risk. Let's just do the cardiac test on you. Uh Or you have a serious set of mutations in oncogenes. Uh, Let's do an annual MRI whole body scan. Uh, so there's a ways to make it cheaper for the population. But those of you who are really interested in your health, trust me, knowing everything really makes a difference yeah. because every one of our systems impacts the other systems. Right. And that's why if you just go see a cardiologist, they maybe will help you with your heart. You can still die from heart disease because you're not paying attention to your
1: metabolic systems. But the real goal is medical diagnosis through genomics, essentially.
0: It's trying to predict everything we can through the genome. Right. I think in the future, this is going to get into predicting uh, life outcomes, personalities, brain types, et cetera, because really? all these things affect your disease state. So, I knew from my genome I was very high risk for melanoma, uh, but that didn't include the trait of liking to be in the sun out surfing and sailing all the time, which probably quadrupled my risk. So when we measure cancer risk from the genome, we're measuring the most limited things. We're not measuring behavior uh, or other attributes uh, that contribute to things. So we're trying to measure the entire
1: system. To what extent is this like an AI play in the long run? Is is sort of current AI capability one of the key techniques that you're going to take advantage of?
0: It's going to be essential for understanding all this data in the long term. We're using machine learning now to interpret it. Uh, We did a clinical trial on a thousand people where we took 3D photos of their faces. And we use that as a training set. So if we sequence your genome, we can give you a picture of what you look like at age 16. Because you've now got that correlation. That's right. Wow. And so we use this as an example of what we can learn from machine learning with a very rich data set. So our goal is to get at least 10,000 people through the health nucleus. And then we have tens of millions of parameters to measure on each person.
1: Well, quickly, you know, we have a lot of other genetic sequencing p- projects happening at more of a mass scale, you know, 23andMe, uh, the uh, uh, Obama Precision Medi- Medicine Initiative kind of thing. Is that basically all additive and uh, contributory or do you see yourself in effect competing with some of those initiatives or what it, it,
0: it's not competitive and it's not contributory it's like one hand clapping it's, those other efforts. It's, it's half the picture yeah without the phenotype and the clinical data the genome is really useful for knowing what percent Neanderthal you are or tracking populations if we're gonna learn and go forward we have to have all this new data uh, people pretend we can interpret the genome now, uh, we're at the earliest stages of beginning to do
1: that. Okay, talk about the f- kind of long-term plans for HLI. And you're, you're gonna, is the price going to come down so you, in, an expansion is part of the idea so that all the people in this room really can do it in, a, in their neighborhood in the near future, or what? Well, Just a few hours
0: ago, Illumina announced a whole new sequencing machine to replace the X10. and. We're in line to get the first set of those. That's going to help drive the cost of genome sequencing down. But, you know, once it's below $2,000, it, you know, whether it goes to $500 eventually or not, I think is not going to have a huge impact. Changing it so that MRI imaging is much more standard. Uh, MRI time is pretty cheap. What we pay a lot for is the radiologist to read the MRI images. So we're trying to to use AI, so it's a simple computer algorithm that reads that.
1: Yeah, the radiologists are worried about that, right.
0: Well, they should be. Uh, Fortunately, we have some good ones helping us, but uh, that's what some uh, great people at uh, UCSD did. It developed something called NeuroQuant. It reads your brain MRI better than any radiologist can, and it measures the precise volume of 20 different regions of your brain. And so one of the things... uh, that's really important for Alzheimer's is knowing the volume of your hippocampus. And so there's whole new parameters now that uh, uh, we measure and within HLI people try for bragging rights of who has the biggest hippocampus. uh.
1: But I know, you know, specifically, you do have expansion plans for project for what's it called nuclear? I'm sorry, the health nucleus. Health nucleus, right? Yes. But you're going to put it in other cities and well, possibly countries, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're it's discussing now just San Diego with,
0: with a lot of different countries and expanding them in the U.S. And we're talking about expanding a mini version of it, where you can get your genome done and go to a local radiologist to get the imaging done, and send it up to the Amazon cloud and we'll interpret it for you. So there's ways to get this done on an expanded scale a lot cheaper. So
1: more partial body examination yeah. in effect yep. for just the things that you know you've got to worry about.
0: Or, or people are concerned. If your mother died from Alzheimer's disease, you're worried that you have Alzheimer's disease. A simple scan of your brain with NeuroQuant will tell you whether you do or don't and whether you're going to get it in the next 20 years or not.
1: Hmm. I think we should go to the audience, since we are sort of in truncated time. Uh, do we have mics ready to go? Um, I see them. Can, can we get... Okay, this guy's hand got up first, and then we'll go to you. And, and,
0: uh, and while you're doing that, let me introduce my new CEO, Cindy Collins. Uh, stand up, Cindy. Cindy just joined HLI as the CEO, uh, and we're going to work closely together in a partnership. She knows something about business. I know a little something about science, so we're going to work on things. So. Very
1: cool. Okay, identify yourself. Hi, Jonathan Dari I happen to do the initial incorporation on Illumina. So I have um, another
0: story. Uh, three quick questions. Clearly you're concerned about iatrogenic injuries. Tell me a little bit about what you've done to minimize that in terms of healthy people any insight into self selection you know maybe subconscious other awareness of a feeling unwellness that doesn't present to clinical symptoms and then third I think there's a great opportunity in behavioral economics for the out, the information you find which is not currently actionable or treatable to communicate that in a way that maximizes positive behavior it seems like that would be a great research
1: opportunity for those places where it's unclear or uncertain so Three rather dense questions, but at least the last one was not a doctor's question.
0: So let me adjust just one of those. Self-selection is something we worry about. Uh, You can appear healthy, but you personally may not believe you're so healthy, Uh, but you've never been able to find anything that was wrong with you. So we don't know right now if our data is uh, somewhat skewed by people self-selecting that are worried about disease, uh, and yet just kept it, uh, their little family secret. So I think we just need much larger numbers, and uh, it's impossible to right now to know what's in people's minds, but it's an important issue.
1: Uh, yeah, there were several other questions there, but... They were too complex, so Yeah, thank on. you for saying so. <laughs> we're not all doctors here, but go ahead. I'm gonna self-select and thank ignore you. them. So. Thank you very much. So,
0: Andries, here I was surprised you could predict the onset of Alzheimer's because an APOE3 E4 does only doubles your risk. Does mean you're going to get Alzheimer's? And also, if you look at the pathology of the amyloid beta, you know, done study shows it doesn't exactly correlate to predicting uh, any symptoms there. So, how how do you get to the onset of Alzheimer's with 20-year prediction
2: and accuracy?
0: So, as it's as I said, we use a combination of measuring your hippocampal volume. If you have a lot of voids around it, it's clearly shrunk. We have a whole scale that it goes on. Plus looking at a wide number of genes in the genome that correlate with Alzheimer's, the two go together really well.
1: Are you saying one more question? I thought, we thought we had got to go till 4.15. Only, we've only been up here for like 20, 25 minutes. But any, okay, uh, I guess we only have time for one more question. No, no she said one more hour. One, one more hour, oh. Okay. Thank you. And if you're a doctor, ask your question very slowly. Uh, okay. Where, where's, where's where's, anybody else? Okay. All right. Go ahead. Can we get the mic? Okay. Right there. I was going to try not to call on you, Will, but go ahead.
2: Well, Green, with Techonomy Media, I write for David. Yeah, so there's That's why a lot I didn't want different... to call on you. <laughs> there, there, there's... Is this working? So there's a lot of different uh, longevity initiatives and companies out there. Uh, Of the broad uh, ecosystem of different companies and organizations working in this space, which ones do you respect the most and why?
0: I think the only one I truly respect is Human Longevity, Inc. Uh, Because we're not trying to find a magic pill to make people live longer. We're looking at the reality of our physiology, the complexity of disease with every tool uh, that's available, uh, plus the human genome. So uh, we're not looking for a magic drug. I, you know, If there is one, I'll buy it, but uh, uh, I think we're really trying to understand the genome and trying to understand disease. Uh, if we could make you live to be uh, 200 years old, we'd have to start sterilizing people at 120.
1: Somebody else with a question. Back there, and maybe the mic isn't gonna get there, so just shout it out, how about that? unless the mic is near you. Oh, it is. Okay. And identify yourself.
2: Sure. Hi. Thank you very much, uh, Alexei Nazem from Nomad Health. Um, I, okay. Sorry. Alexei Nazem from Nomad Health. Um, I will uh, preface this by saying I am a physician, and I was the one who raised my hand and said I wouldn't want to be um, tested. And not because I don't think what you're doing is really exciting, but there's so many statistics out there, for example, that 40% of people die with prostate cancer, 40% of men die with prostate cancer, but not from prostate cancer. Sometimes the running down of positive results can actually lead to greater harm. So I wondered uh, if you would comment on that and talk a little bit about not only understanding the risk of acquiring a disease, but the prognoses of those diseases from the technologies you're developing. Yeah, no, thanks That's for the
0: question. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned prostate cancer because the The MRI, this new imaging only detects high grade prostate cancer. So it's actually nice, it doesn't detect grade three and below, it detects the kind of prostate cancer that you die from, not with. Uh, And it's really phenomenal because a combination of the MRI images and ultrasound, uh, those go right into the biopsy center so you can biopsy exactly where the MRI shows the tumor to be. And it changes it versus, uh, uh, I've had prostate biopsies where they take 20 random shots. Uh, Every one of them missed my tumor. So until the MRI image showed exactly where it was, uh, there was no way to get a proper diagnosis. So yes, there's a lot of low-grade prostate cancer that people die with. The high-grade prostate cancer... If it metastasizes, there's about a 28% of five-year survival. So you want to know the difference between the two. The data with the new MRI imaging makes it very clear-cut which is which.
1: And the diagnostic capability of this new imaging cap- is really amazingly accurate, right?
0: It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And right now it only exists in La Jolla, but... Uh, uh, the teams are trying to get it developed so it's on a lot more MRI machines.
1: I mean, didn't you say 100% accuracy on the phone? Is that well, possible? Well, that's
0: what it's been thus far. And uh, interesting, uh, one, a famous person in San Diego had zero uh, elevated PSA and he had an extremely high grade tumor. Uh, totally credits HLI with saving his life.
1: Wow, that's surprising. Okay, oh, Esther, please. Esther Dyson, I will. In, I don't need you to introduce yourself. But you do need a working mic. I don't know. Okay.
0: Well, it's not on.
2: Yeah. Um, so the there? Uh, yeah, there you yes. go. Okay. Okay. So I'm just curious about the non-genotype and sort of non-medical data you're collecting, both, you know, environment, behavior, all the other stuff. Because that contributes a lot to the risk as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. So we have people do questionnaires. It's important to know whether somebody's a smoker or not. Although it's actually easy to tell from a genome sequence from a tumor whether you're a smoker or not. Uh, that, That pattern shows up quite uniquely. So you can't pretend that you're not something. But as I said earlier, environment plays a very key role Uh, Ten years ago I had a melanoma, it was probably because I spent uh, ten times too much time out in the sunshine uh, on top of my genetic risk. So we do try and record all those things, but here's the difference. We're trying to solve the simple equation. We can solve everything in the not-too-distant future uh, that's nature. Everything else is the environment. So, the genome will be predictable. Everything will be predictable from that. The environment is 12 orders of magnitude more complex. Uh, and, you know, so we're trying to start with the easy problem first.
1: Okay, over here. And identify yourself, please.
2: Uh, yes, I work at GSR Ventures. So we're doing, uh, early- Hold it
1: right up. Oops.
2: Sorry, I, I work at GSR Ventures. We are an early-stage VC firm, and um, actually, I wrote up till a crack like uh, not long ago. But uh, so, can I ask a uh, sort of basic question in terms of how deep do you want to do sequencing to the one million pop uh, people you're gathering data from?
0: So, uh, Thank you. yeah, I think I understood the question. So, for, for our typical genome sequence with the X10 sequencer we sequence the genome to a coverage of 30x. And we've shown that that gets a very low false positive and a very low false negative rate. With our cancer sequencing, with the cancer exome and the whole genome, uh, with the whole genome we go to 90x in the tumor, uh, but we spike in additional uh, markers as well, so it's even higher trying to find very rare variants. but. 30x uh, with the standard human genome done accurately is more than complete enough.
1: I'm going to I'm going to ask a question that proves how much less medically knowledgeable I am than most people in this room. But what is, is the biggest challenge you're facing? I'm not. I just want to know where you see the obstacles to making this kind of system really as transformative as it could be.
0: So, when you think about the amount of data, so at 40,000 genomes. Just ACs, Gs, and Ts. We're now at 4.65 petabytes of data. Uh, With a million genomes, it would be well over an exabyte of data. So that doesn't include all the imaging data, all the lab data, everything else. That's just ACs, Gs, and Ts. So we're already in the 1% group at Amazon up with video streamers and porn sites. Um, the expansion of computing <coughs> has to start expanding faster than Moore's law. So you
1: just need AWS to get even better, faster.
0: In effect, uh, yeah, absolutely. We've—I uh, said once before—we blew a—we blew a hole in the Amazon cloud. Um, but it's a matter of having enough processors available. Their storage is getting cheaper all the time. But the pace of the data collection is outpacing what computing can do to handle it, without it being incredibly expensive. So a million dollars a month isn't something every biotech company can afford uh, for an Amazon bill.
1: See, I thought you were going to say attitudes towards prevention, and and getting those changed was the biggest challenge. But you don't if you don't it, see that as in, sub, in it, super.
0: There's problems. enough people that are self interested in doing that that they're helping make the case. Trying to change the whole medical system. I'm the biggest optimist in the world, but I don't think that's going to happen. Half physicians don't even follow the basic standard of care in the US. So trying to change it uh, so everybody's going to follow preventative medicine. We tried to get the medical school. uh, We offered to do all the genomes of the incoming students. Half the students don't want to know their genomes. How in the hell are they going to help their clients and patients in the future interpret this data? So we're training people, as Joe Biden said, for the last century.
1: Right. I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned, I was just going to next ask you, what did you think about Biden's comments about cancer in particular?
0: Well, I mean, obviously a tremendously passionate person because of the family tragedy that he lived through. Uh, he's absolutely right about government funding of science. It's it, It's not the way to move forward. Um, I'm really anxious to see what his foundation is going to do. But I think genome sequencing of tumors, and we're rolling out a major product with uh, our exomes uh, this quarter of doing the whole exome on the person, whole exome on the tumor, trying to get the price down to $3,000 so people can afford to. self-pay. Most hospitals, people refuse genome information because they can't afford it and insurance companies won't pay for it.
1: Okay, any other questions from the audience? Because I know we probably are pushing the limit of our time now. Okay, go ahead. Do we have a mic or shout it out.
0: So uh, it's a it's a real good question, and it, it gets the question into, was, oh, wait, how wait, soon will yeah. every
1: child in a born be have their genome sequenced? In the, US. In, in, the US. in the U.S.
0: I would like to see it start now. Uh, there's a lot of confusing rules about paternalism in terms of not whether you're the father or not. I know you faced that before, but uh, <laughs> it, it's about um, whether. Until kids are 18, somebody should know their genetic information. To me, it's absolutely absurd. Knowing the genome in the first six months of life saves a lot of lives. Uh, Knowing in the first five years of life saves a lot of lives. Uh, Your genome is not just your own. It's also your kid's uh, genome in part. And so it should be done as soon as humanly possible. and you know we're trying to do that in combination with stem cell banking. I, I think once people see the results of it, that it actually does save lives, it's not just a gimmick to sell something, uh, it, it will slowly catch on, at least that's my hope.
1: Anybody else? Do we have more time? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess we do, because I'm not being told we don't. Um,
2: Wow. One more minute one more question okay
1: uh, well, I have some uh, I guess i'm still um, i guess I just want to hear a little more about um, the idea of really the correlation this to me it's you've spent your whole career up you know in my mind pioneering genetic information, but was there a certain kind of uh, epiphany you had that suddenly you had to go at it from the other side
0: it, it, it wasn't instantaneous but it happened over time it was really driven by the synthetic cell product project so that's where we tried to write the genetic code of a cell, we tried to design a cell uh, it took uh, far longer than we ever imagined it would but we finally got there But these cells, driven totally by this synthetically man-made chromosome, have every single function, every type of regulation. They have epigenetics. They have fundamental genetics. Everything derives from that linear genetic code. I was leaning more and more that way in terms of our own genetic code. Uh, And that's why we call it this. Our DNA software is what drives what we are and physically, but it also drives a lot more about who we are than most people are willing to confess at this stage.
1: So then you just wanted to explore that. We
0: we have to have the phenotype data to interpret this vast amount of data.
1: Really cool. Well, thank you, Craig. Really great to hear from you, and I think what you're doing is fantastic.